At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 677th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who knows a thing or two dozen about raising hens and collecting eggs. We're talking with returning guest Lisa Steele about cooking with eggs. Lisa is a fifth-generation chicken keeper and founder of the popular blog, Fresh Eggs Daily. Referred to as the queen of the coop, Lisa traded in her life on Wall Street for a life on a farm in rural Maine, where she has kept chickens for more than a dozen years. Having written a number of books on raising and caring for chickens, Lisa is a trusted source for all things chicken and egg. Her latest book is the Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook with over 100 fabulous recipes to use eggs in unexpected ways. Published by Harper Horizon and just released in February 2022. Lisa, we chatted with you a few times on the podcast, most recently in podcast episode 309 back in 2017. Wow, it's been five years. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Greg. I I can't believe it's been that long. Right. And what have you been up to since? Oh, not much. It's only been five <laughs> years, right? <laughs> I think I've written three or four books since the last time I talked to you. Oh and my gosh. Most recently, I think one had just come out the last time we talked. And I, I think I wrote three mm-hmm. more on, on chicken keeping after that. But yeah, for the last two years, I've pretty much just been working on the cookbook, which did just come out and I couldn't be more thrilled about it. Oh, it's a beautiful hardback book. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. So that feeling must be great. Having done all that work, and finally, it's here. It seemed like the the release day was never going to come. I mean, it just seemed like it took forever. Even after I finished writing it and turned in the manuscript, I think that was in June of last year that mm-hmm. I finally was done with my part. And then it went to formatting and design and, you know, all that. And then it had to be printed and just waiting and waiting and waiting. But I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, I couldn't be more happy with it. It's beautiful. And it's just everything that... I imagined it would be. And it was such a fun process, completely different than writing a chicken keeping or a gardening book. Right. So tell me about the introduction, because normally an introduction is like page or page and a half. And I mean, this thing goes on a ways. <laughs> a ways. The final book is actually almost 100 pages longer than it originally was going to be. I had turned in my introduction. Like you said, it's usually a page or a page and a half, just kind of introducing the author to people who might not be familiar with them and why I wrote the book and this and that. And I turned it in and and my editor said, well, I want you to talk more about how to tell if an egg is fresh, a little bit about keeping chickens. Does eggshell color matter? You know, do we have to worry about eating raw eggs? How do you crack an egg? So 
by the time I finished, it ended up being like 45 pages or something like that. But I think it's all really good information. And even if somebody only reads it once, Mm-hmm. that's okay as long as they just keep making the recipes over right. and over again yeah so how do we know if an egg is fresh i think the most common way that that people might be familiar with if they have chickens they probably are is you drop an egg into a glass of water and if it sits on the bottom it's very very fresh and then mm-hmm. as the egg ages air gets in and it starts to rise up but the problem with that is that now the egg is wet so you've rinsed the bloom off and you're ta- you've taken away the egg's main way to stay fresh. So another way is if you just hold an egg up to your ear and you shake it, uh-huh. if the egg is older, you can actually hear or feel the inside sloshing around a little bit, oh, which means that moisture has left the egg, air has gotten in, and there's actually room for the insides to move around. I mean, that's something you could even almost do at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. They're not going to like you putting an egg in water at the grocery store. But yeah, so that's a quick way. That's usually what I do if I'm grabbing an egg out of the fridge that I don't uh-huh. know when it was laid. I'll just kind of shake it. And if I don't feel any jiggling in there, it's pretty fresh. Right. Got it. You said something. You said bloom. What is Mm -hmm. that? I actually find the whole egg laying process pretty fascinating. And the fact that a chicken roughly every 26 hours is popping another egg out. You know, it's almost like when that egg comes out, she's already starting work on the next egg. And there's so many steps. But the very last step before the egg comes out, she applies an invisible coating called the bloom or the cuticle. And what that does is it blocks the pores in the eggshell. The pores let air in, they let moisture out of the egg. So that preserves the egg's freshness. The bloom deteriorates as the egg ages. And the purpose of it is if you're hatching a chick, the egg needs to keep its moisture in and then let in the right amount of air because the chick eventually is going to need air to breathe. So it's all very scientific. But for our purposes, it works to help keep the egg fresher longer. So you really don't want to wash farm fresh or farm stand or farmer's market or your neighbor's chicken's eggs until right before you wash, uh, use them. Yeah. So you could do the float test right before you use them. And that, Correct. which, yeah, which is typically what I do. So mm-hmm. awesome. So there's a hundred recipes in this book. Where on earth did you come up with a hundred recipes? <laughs> I actually have a folder that's about four inches thick of recipes that didn't make the cut. <laughs> it's, oh, wow. it's, almost, it's almost hard to find a recipe that doesn't have eggs in it, honestly. You know, once I took, I kind of took some childhood favorites. Then I took some of our favorite recipes that I do make, you know, mm-hmm. in our home. And then some things that I felt just needed to be included, like a pound cake or a lemon meringue pie, creme brulee, things that, that really are egg-centric. You know, I kind of had to start cutting then at that point. It was hard to narrow down almost to the 100 recipes. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you. As a child, yeah. I used to eat egg in the hole. Mm-hmm. which mom made for me. You know, you take a slice of bread, cut a hole out, fry it up. Actually ate it this morning for breakfast. Did it make the cut? It did. And it, that's actually funny. You should mention that because I was doing an interview the other day and we were talking about that. And I mentioned how my mom apparently was too lazy to cut the hole in the toast. And she just dropped the egg on a piece of toast and called it a day. And the interviewer <laughs> said, you know, I said she was too lazy to find a cookie cutter or whatever. And the interviewer said she couldn't just use a drinking glass. So I said, you know, the next time I talk to my mom, I'm going to ask her that why she just couldn't grab a drinking glass and cut a hole in the egg in the bread for us. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, we just had dropped eggs on toast. No hole, just the egg right on top of the toast. (laughs) (laughs) What is one of your favorite recipes in the book? Well, the cover should be an indication. I absolutely love Eggs Benedict. 
once uh, you master a good homemade hollandaise sauce, I really, really, like if I could only eat eggs one way for the rest of my life, I would choose Eggs Benedict. And mastering the sauce, does the sauce have eggs in it? Mm-hmm. Oh. It does. And it's not difficult. I think the hardest part about Eggs Benedict is getting everything to come out at the same time because you have to oh, get yes. your, your bread or your muffin toasted. Then you have to get your eggs poached and the sauce made. The sauce can't sit because it'll break. It'll curdle. You know, it hardens up pretty quickly. So it's, it's all about the timing. But once you figure that out, it's not hard to make it all. And you have a section in here called preserving eggs. Can you tell me about that? You know, I've, I've always only ever had fresh eggs daily from my from my hands. <laughs> well, for those of us who raise chickens, we know that our chickens usually go on strike in the winter unless yeah. you light your chicken coop. So there are times of the year when you have more eggs than you know what to do with and you're tossing them into the woods or feeding them to your dog or putting them in a the compost pile, which kills me. And then there are times of year you don't have eggs, like when you're trying to do your holiday baking. So I think the best way to preserve eggs is just to freeze them, you know, whisk them up, a little salt, pour them into an ice cube tray and then freeze them. And then you can pop the cubes out and one cube is about equal to one egg. So then you can use them for quiches or frittatas, baking, whatever. That's probably the most practical way I'd, I'd say. I know there's like water glassing or preserving them in lime, mm-hmm. but honestly, I've never had the need to preserve an egg for two years. You know, at most, it's like a four month span where I'm not getting eggs, you know, in the freezing will definitely get you through that slow period. Yeah. So in her book on page 36, it talks about freezing eggs. I didn't have a clue about that. That's like totally new for me. <laughs> that's the reason I love doing this podcast. I get to learn new stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good trick. Yeah. It saved me many, many Christmas holiday cookie baking seasons. I'll bet. And I have never heard of anybody putting compost or putting eggs in a compost pile. I will give them away to a neighbor before I do that. You know, we, I mean, everyone around here raises chickens. You know, we've tried to give them. Our UPS guy has chickens. Our male lady's daughter has chickens. I mean, like you can't even give them away because I mean, you know, you drive down the road and every other house has chickens in the yard. It's crazy. My dream. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm the only person in my neighborhood who has chickens. <laughs> so let's talk about Fresh Eggs Daily, your blog. That, you know, over the past, what, decade? Mm-hmm. That thing has exploded. Did that surprise you? It really did. I started it in 2011, I believe, or the beginning of 2012. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I only started it as a way to sort of write articles and archive them because I was really active on Facebook. Facebook was new and exciting. Everybody loved Facebook. And I was posting pictures and people were asking me questions. And it got sort of labor intensive to keep typing out, you know, what to do about soft shelled eggs or bumblefoot Mm -hmm. or whatever. So I thought, well, if I write up articles and put them in this blog, which blogs were also fairly new at the time, I could just grab the link and then refer people back and forth to that. And that's how it started. And then not too far in, Another blogger said to me, well, you know, companies will pay you to put ads on your blog. And I was like, really? (laughs) We could turn this into a little business maybe. So, you know, now 10 years later, 600 articles later, I still have more that I want to write about. And, you know, I have had really great sponsors throughout the years. So it, it definitely turned into something. I didn't go into it expecting it to turn into a business. Right. Well, and congratulations that, you know, I've been keeping hens for since 1999 
And, you know, in retrospect, going back 15, 20 years and starting a blog would have been the right thing to do. And you did it. So congratulations. <laughs> it, it was a lot of right time, right place. Yeah. And I think the right message, because when I started with the chickens in 2009, now I had them as a kid, so I kind of knew the basics, but I wanted to learn more about how to keep them healthy and how to not have to give them medications and, and to do it naturally. And, you know, so I started researching a lot about herbs and edible flowers and things like that. And people really weren't writing about that stuff back then, which is why, why I wrote my first book, because the books that I was reading just basically said, feed your chickens, give them water, collect the eggs. And if they get sick, they're probably going to die and you just buy a new one or, mm -hmm. you know, give them the antibiotics. And I mean, we're eating their eggs. Like, why would I raise chickens and then give them medication? Antibiotics. It would, yeah. Yeah. It would be like having a garden and then spraying it with all kinds of herbicides and pesticides. It doesn't make any sense. So it was a message I think that was different than what was out there. And at the time, it was definitely the message that people who were getting into it really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited and proud for you that, you know, that you've done that because it, it makes a difference. You know, you go looking for answers on Google for chickens and often your blog comes up. I know it's hard for me now because I'll start researching something and, you know, just be clicking on things and reading. And all of a sudden I'm on my blog reading something that I wrote. I'm like, wait, no, I need to find other sources. <laughs> right. <laughs> So you tossed me over a question, store labels on egg cartons, are they important? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's, that's something that for the people who don't have chickens, or if your chickens are freeloaders and on strike or whatever, and you have to go buy eggs, you know, a, an egg carton has sort of become a billboard of sorts, and they put as many words as they can on the front of it. And it's, it is very confusing. So things like all natural, farm fresh, those don't mean anything. They're just marketing terms antibiotic free, hormone free. In this country, chickens are not allowed, laying hens are not allowed to be given hormones. Very rarely are they given antibiotics. So none of that really means anything either. What you want to look for is pasture raised and even better certified humane pasture raised. That oh. means that the chickens are outside. They're on, you know, grass or dirt. They're laying in the sun, they're chasing each other, you know, they're, if it matters to you at all, how happy the chicken is that laid the egg that you're eating. Pasture raised is what you should look for. And um, organic, you know, if you do eat organically, then looking for organic eggs is something that's important. But just know that that organic words certified organic refers more to the chicken's diet and less to how the chicken was treated. Mm. Although to be certified organic, they, the chickens can't be in cages. Like they do have to be treated a little bit better, but it, it really refers to their diet more than anything. So we're looking for certified pasture raised. Certi certified humane pasture raised. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those are chickens that are, you know, sleeping probably in a barn or a warehouse at night. So they're safe. But then during the day, they have to be outside. I mean, it's very regulated. They have to be outside for a certain, you know, number of days per year, number of hours per day. They have to have this much space. So those are those are the really happy chickens. Cage free, which is kind of like the buzzword these days, A is actually not better for the chickens. There's a higher mortality rate because all they're doing is the warehouses that have all those rows of chicken cages that we've all seen. Yeah. They open the cages and the chickens are all just in the warehouse, stepping on each other, fighting with each other. I mean, you, you've had chickens, you know, yep. they're mean, they fight yes. and the mortality rates are actually much higher in cage-free environments. So the chickens are actually safer and do better in cages, which is not optimal. So you really want the pasture raised. Got it. Wow. Cool. You're starting a new program on public television. Tell me about mm -hmm. that. 
Yeah, that's exciting. For the last couple of years, I've had a show called Welcome to My Farm that aired here in Maine on NBC on Sunday mornings. And it was sort of like a three segment show where I did a chicken keeping segment, a gardening segment and a cooking segment, maybe went to a strawberry farm locally picked some strawberries and then came back and made something, fed them to the chickens, you know, just kind of a fun family show. Yeah. And it was picked up by public television. So starting April 1st, it is going to be airing in over 200 stations across the country. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know where exactly when, like each station can air it when they want. Uh So I think by maybe mid-March on the website, they will have, you can put in your zip code and it will tell you what station and and when you can watch. But yeah, it's super exciting. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I I just got chills when you shared that. And (laughs) it's it's good for the homegrown food industry when stuff like this happens. You know, and and I guess it's not an industry. It's, uh, you know, it's us at home. Mm -hmm. Movement, I guess you'd call it. Movement, yeah, that's better. A homegrown. I'm super excited because it's it's the first like chicken lifestyle show, I guess you'd call it, that's going to be nationwide. And sometime in the summer, it will move over to Create TV, which is nationwide, and it will be on at the same time, same day, you know, nationwide, which is exciting as well. So you're Mm -hmm. doing weekly episodes. It's uh, the first season has eight episodes, and the stations can choose to air them. When they want them. Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. Mm-hmm. So you ha- you obviously have a crew that comes out to your place and you have to write the scripts. And what, what was that process like? It was really fun. In fact, you'll appreciate this. We For the last couple episodes, we did switch film crews, but we're using P.L. and Smith's film crew mm-hmm. that filmed his show that has been on public television for decades, probably. So they flew up from Arkansas to film the show. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you do, you, you do multiple shows over the course of a week and then you're done. Right. Exactly. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. And tell me about your Drake. Actually, he died. Oh. He died. Yeah, he died a couple of months ago. Gregory, he he was 12 and a few months, I guess. And we had him, you know, right from the start. He was a big white Pekin duck. And in fact, it was funny because in Virginia, Virginia, our UPS driver had a little note on our address to watch out for the goose. And he actually is a duck. And he was he was not aggressive at all. Uh-huh. All right. Before we shift, I want to talk about a couple of recipes that caught my eye. Marshmallows? <laughs> yeah, the last chapter, or they might be in the dessert chapter, but there is a chapter at the end that has sort of all odds and ends, a lot of sauces and puddings and things like that. And homemade marshmallows are actually really easy to make. They do Mm -hmm. take a while because they need to cure, I guess you'd say. But that's kind of fun. And I mean, who knows what's in store-bought marshmallows? I'm sure there's a lot of chemicals. Chemicals, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you can make your own and then you can, you know, color them or flavor them how you'd like. So that's what I like about that recipe is it's a way to use up egg whites because a lot of times you'll just use the yolks for something and you'll have a bunch of egg whites left over and not know what to do with them. Ah, well, so, and that's one way to think about cooking with eggs is if you do have to separate them, you might want to set yourself up in a situation where you use the egg yolks for one thing and the egg whites for another. Exactly. Yeah. You should never throw them away. In fact, in the back of the book, there is an index that lists the recipes by number of eggs or yolks or whites that they use. So if you do have, you know, six egg whites, you can just look in the back and see what recipe might work for that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, you know, and that's one I'm going to try. 
because I love marshmallows. <laughs> but, you know, when you go to the grocery store, the what's in them is pretty horrific. Pretty horrific. And the marshmallow fluff also, which if you grew up in New England, I'm sure you grew up on fluffernutter sandwiches, peanut butter and marshmallow fluff. Oh. But the first time I made that, it's, it's basically marshmallows in a jar. It mm-hmm. tastes exactly like the marshmallow fluff that I grew up in. So it's and it's it's a alternative to marshmallows, I guess you could say, and you can spread it on sandwiches or just eat it out of the jar. It's delicious. Nice. And that's on, let's see, that's on page 271 and 274 of your book. Nice. And let's just go simple with your baked macaroni and cheese. Tell me about that one. Uh, you know, who, who doesn't love mac and cheese? I, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's, I mean, you can make stovetop, obviously. You can make it out of the box. You can use the craft out of the box. But when you bake it, you can either make a roux type base for your sauce, or you mm-hmm. can make a more custardy egg base. So of course, since it's an egg cookbook, I went with a more custardy egg base, which Yay. people might not be familiar with if they're making the you know, flour, butter, cheese sauce for their macaroni and cheese. Uh-huh. Well, and my sweetie Heidi loves mac and cheese. And we usually do the organic version out of the box. And I'm sitting here looking at this and it doesn't look too hard. Mm-mm. I mean, it's a one page recipe. It's something I could definitely do. I'm not much of a cook. <laughs> one page, one pan. I think she would love that. Yeah. You've, this book has been out on the market just a little while now. And Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, has there been a situation where somebody reacted in a particular way and it was like, oh my gosh, that's the reason that I wrote this book? It's funny because we did get a lot of advanced reviews through Goodreads or NetGalley. You know, people can request advanced reviews and before the book even comes out. And it was interesting to read the comments because some of them were people surprised that there were eggs in every recipe. (laughs) You know, things like that really surprised me. But but for the most part, people were really excited to find different ways to use eggs and not just for breakfast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some dinner options. And I, I don't really like the chapter segmentation because I don't think there's anything wrong with having an omelet for dinner or we have eggs, for, breakfast, eggs for dinner a lot you know, just like a fried egg and toast and bacon. So, you know, you don't have to feel like because it's in the breakfast or brunch chapter, you can't have it for dinner. So I want to just encourage people to think about eggs throughout the day and use them in different ways. And have breakfast for dinner. I do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to shift on you. And I'd like, as a returning guest, I'd like for you to share a memory from your childhood around chickens. (laughs) We did have chickens when I was a kid. We just had a small sort of hobby flock and we would get the chicks every spring my brother and I would have them in the box on the porch under the light bulb and we'd name Uh them all and we loved them and then they grew up and they went out to live in the chicken coop and we had a rooster named Bojangles who would chase us all around the yard every time he got out and I'm permanently scarred by this rooster right um it was our job. My brother was three years younger and it was our job to go and collect the eggs. And our chickens were so mean. And in retrospect, I think they were probably broody and we didn't mm-hmm. spend a lot of time with them. So they weren't really pets, but we used to wear oven mitts to go out and collect the eggs because the chickens would always peck us. <laughs> wow. Well, that, that helped, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what new piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Other than get chickens. <laughs> uh, uh, right. Absolutely. <laughs> 
No, I think I think what I said before is, is, you know, if you're just having that fried egg for breakfast every morning, think about different ways that you can cook eggs and eat eggs and eat more eggs. You know, if you're trying to cut red meat out of your diet or be a little healthier, eggs are a really great source of protein. And they're also super affordable. I mean, everything is going up in price right now, but mm-hmm. eggs really are still pretty affordable for what you get out of a dozen eggs. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Lisa. It was great to be back. And I hope you don't wait another five years and 14 (laughs) books later. (laughs) There you go. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Super easy. Fresh Eggs Daily, you know, whether you're on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, my email is fresheggsdaily at gmail.com. I do answer all my email. I miss a lot on social media, but I do answer my email or fresheggsdaily.com is my blog. Cool. And the book is called? The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. Woo! And you can find it, I'm sure, everywhere and anywhere out in the bookosphere. Everywhere books are sold. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash cooking with eggs. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.